Now, I've been asked multiple times before, can a direct primary care practice work for younger physicians? And we're going to hit this one right away. We're going to dispel this myth right here, right now. Because there seems to be this motion that without a big existing patient panel to recruit from or really transition to direct care, a practice can have a really hard time getting off the ground. This would naturally skew the DPC doctor demographic toward mid, late career physicians who are really looking to keep their sanity. They've had experience in the third-party payer system, and they want out. Now, obviously, a physician just starting their career doesn't fall into that broad category of work experience. So going back to the question, Chris, can DPC work for a younger physician? And given the skew towards more experienced doctors, it'd be okay to think that it isn't a good idea for younger doctors to enter in this market. This is where my answer catches some people off guard. I tell them younger doctors can make it work and they can thrive. Today's guest looked at that challenge of building her DPC practice, did her homework, and knew this is the route she wanted to take while so many of her peers were joining hospitals. She took her own path directly out of residency. From the Freedom HealthWorks Network, this is Healthcare Americana. Today's podcast is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks, a company on a mission to turn healthcare delivery on its head. It works to support all physicians who are interested in direct care, cutting out insurance companies from their practices, and to spread the word of this model to everyone, including employers. For more information on direct care, visit freedomhealthworks.com and by the great people at the Free Market Medical Association. They're connecting true buyers and sellers of healthcare, educating and motivating them to work together based upon mutually beneficial relationship, which is also built on three pillars, price, value, and equality. For more information, visit fmma.org. I'm your host, Christopher Habig, and this is Healthcare Americana. I'm joined now by Dr. Carol Ann Leinbarger, a physician at DirectMD Austin. Dr. Leinbarger, thanks for taking the time to come on the show and share your experiences with everyone. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Chris. Our pleasure. You have such a unique uh, experience with um, being an early stage physician and going directly into DPC. So I was really excited when we got this opportunity. And I just want to say for a disclaimer out, uh, out there for our audience that you did mention that you are a little under the weather, but I think we can get through that, right? Yes. Thankfully, I'm feeling a little bit better, but thank you. Good. So if any sneezes in the background or anything, then you know, everybody's going to understand, uh, uh, especially with most of our listeners in the medical profession here. So to kick things off, what was the primary reason for taking this path so early in your career? Well, it's such a great question, such a big question. And the main, the main point is that I knew what it was like in the insurance world, and I knew I didn't want to have a part of it. So I worked in the residency for three years at UTMB in Galveston. And it's a wonderful program, but it is a traditional insurance-based practice where you turn over patients about every 15 minutes. So in a 15-minute visit, you will have to do at least 20 minutes after that writing your note for that patient. So you're ending up spending 45 minutes to an hour on that patient, and less than half of it is actually spent with the patient. It makes no sense in any way. And because the overhead in a traditional insurance practice is you need to see that many patients to make the kind of living that a doctor wants to make. And it's not the kind of quality of care that I want to provide. How can you manage chronic illness and mental health in 15 minutes? You can't. 
So I knew that I didn't want to do that. And I didn't know that there were any other options. And then in residency, I, and we can get into that, I, I, I found out about DPC and, and I knew immediately, immediately that that's what I wanted to do because I love to spend time with my patients the way I want to. I love that I can follow up with them and they don't necessarily have to come back. That was another huge thing that a patient sees you and if you want them to follow up in a week or two or a month, they have to pay another copay. They're going to have to wait another hour in the waiting room just to see you. And it was very stressful for me and it was very stressful for all my patients. If patients knew, there are a lot of people don't even know that there are other options out there, patients and physicians. There are better options, and I'm just so fortunate to have found this. Right, right, and I totally uh, sympathize with you there. And I'm curious, what was your experience in medical school like? Was it as advertised when you got into residency and said that, you know, you only have a handful of minutes to see a patient, and then you have to spend the rest of the time charting and logging what you've seen? Was that really advertised in medical school? Well, I'm not sure if you know this, but I went to medical school in Sydney, Australia. That is a public health care system. It's very different. They're not as guided by the insurance company, and it is not as litigious a country as it is here in the United States. So I feel like I was more able to practice a DPC-like model over there in Australia where you do get to spend a little bit more time with your patients. So I can't comment on what it's like here, but we did see a lot of medical students. We we spend a lot of time with them while I was in residency, and they are trained the same way a resident is trained, that you only get to spend about 15 minutes with a patient in a traditional primary care practice. Right. And I know that you are a, uh, a pretty seasoned world traveler here. Um, obviously, traveled before medical school, tra- you know, volunteering all over the world. Uh, do you mind sharing some of your experiences there just to help us understand, you know, what an international medical school is like based on your other experiences helping people throughout the world? Oh, yes. I have been very fortunate. I was always very adventurous from, from a kid. I've traveled a lot. I've volunteered in other countries, including spending several months in Ghana, where I volunteered at hospitals there. And so I think that was part of the reason that I, was, that I ended up for medical school in Australia. After graduating from the University of Texas, I had spent my, I spent a year studying abroad in Sydney, um, my junior year. So then when I applied to medical school, I also did a lot of research about where I wanted to end up. And I was very lucky to be accepted to the University of Sydney. And going to, to a medical school in a public health care system is, was such an honor. You learn how to practice medicine the way it should be, which is clinically. We are not guided by CYA approaches. You do not have to order a test just because if you don't, you could get sued. Mm -hmm. And we order tests based off our clinical findings. If you go into an emergency department and you are a 30-year-old female with abdominal pain, you will get a CT of your abdomen. And a 30-year-old childbearing age woman does not always necessarily need a CT of her abdomen. And in Australia, you will very rarely get a CT of your abdomen if you are 30 years old because it is usually not necessary. I have so many examples of that where we are able to practice medicine based off what we find from a history and exam, and that is not the case here. 
Right, right. You mentioned the litigious aspect of the United States society. And um, <laughs> we we hear that a lot, you know, from um, physicians practicing outside of the United States, whether it's in top healthcare facilities, you know, in Singapore, or um, even some of the highest quality hospitals in Thailand and elsewhere that they don't want to do business with Americans because they're afraid of getting sued all the time. So that really does set the stage for, you know, my next question here of, you know, those experiences obviously influenced you in your ability to be a physician and your motivation here. So you come back to the United States for residency. Were you thinking direct care the entire way when you came back for residency based on your previous experiences? No, absolutely not. And that's because like a lot of medical students and residents, I was not aware that that model existed. I did not know that there was such a thing as affordable cash pay monthly membership options until I was in residency, it was introduced to the concept. But as soon as I was introduced to the concept, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Was that kind of like a, a, light, uh, a lighthouse moment, a watershed moment when someone said, hey, this is viable? This is a real life model for you? Yes, yes. We had, we had a resident. He was a couple years above me. He had graduated. He had moved to Dallas. He worked as an employee for a big hospital system. And he quit after a year or two. And he signed up with a concierge type of large company. He came and spoke to us and, and shared about what he was doing as a DPC doctor. And I went up to him after his presentation and said, can I have your card? I want to call you. This is what I want to do. And I was a second year, uh, beginning of my second year, I remember, because I didn't call him for at least a year. And -hmm. it wasn't until I was around the beginning to middle of my third year is when you kind of start thinking about what you're going to do after residency. The light opens up, the clouds part, and you realize that life is about to really start for you after about 12 years. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I contacted him and I contacted several other doctors that were practicing DPC just to, just to get a feel of how it works. Now, how many people would you say in your residency class took those steps? I mean, was, were you the only one who reached out to, you know, this concierge doctor and then did your homework with DPC or are there others? We do a practice management month, my third year residency, and I teamed up with two other of my co-residents and you create a business model for starting your own practice. And we, we did it based off a DPC led by me. Mm-hmm. And so we contacted several people, but at the end, I am the only single person that I know that has started DPC straight out of residency. I know that others do it, but I'm not familiar with them. Right. And that's why, you know, this, this story is so enticing because it is so rare. So what in your personal experiences, your professional opinion why is that so rare? What's going through people's minds when they exit residency and they know about DPC, which doesn't happen as much as we know we'd like it to, obviously, but what holds people back? Well, you, you ask people who know about DPC, but a big thing that I want to address is that I think a lot of people are held back because they don't even know it exists. And the first example I will give you is that last week I sat next to a doctor. I, I rowed in college. I was on the rowing team. 
we had a large banquet and a former rower was married to a family medicine resident and I was telling her about what I did and she was a second year family medicine resident and had never heard of the concept. Wow. So number one, I think that people are, are not informed that it exists. Now, then you ask the question of those who are informed that it exists and what is their hesitancy? And it is very fear-based. I mean, we are all driven by fear of the unknown. It, it is such a common thing, right? And so people don't think that, that it is going to work or it might not work for them. Or maybe some people are just frankly tired and they just want to enter and make some money. Or they, they need to make money and, and they need to start a job where they're guaranteed 200, 220, or if you're in a big city, maybe a little bit less, $180,000 a year and, and you're guaranteed that salary for usually two years is what most of my friends, they are guaranteed for two years and then they work based off RVUs after that. Right. It's, um, we've, we've talked to some interesting guests, obviously, um, over the course of the show. And you know, one thing that keeps coming up is they look at a paycheck as being something that is so certain and not realizing that the opportunity just isn't there for them anymore because the hospital system or whomever that employer is, uh, in more of a traditional sense, is really going to press them and work them. And I don't know if anybody, you know, coming out of residency really has an understanding of what that looks like and what everything you just illustrated right there. So, you know, I want to ask, what were the, what were the reactions of your peers coming out of residency when you said, you know what, I don't want to go that route that everybody else is going. It's not sustainable for me. I need to go DPC and I'm going to do it this way. What did people say to you when you did that? Oh, people are impressed. They're impressed. That's for sure. That. They say, well, that's so great that you're doing it. And people want to do it. They want, I tell all of my doctor friends, you can do this and you would be so much happier and don't let your fear stop you from doing it. We became physicians because we love what we do. If we were a factory worker who works to live, I mean, a lot of physicians, they live to work because we are passionate about healing people. And, and we go to medical school because this is our calling. This is what we want to do. And then you enter a job after residency where it feels like a factory job, where you go to work and then all you think about is what you're going to do when you get off work and, and come home. And you lose that joy and you lose that passion. Every single family doctor that I know that is in an employed group, they don't love their job. When you have to see 25 to 30 patients a day and do paperwork on top of that and only get two weeks vacation a year, you don't love your job. And I'm so lucky that, that I've found this because I can make the same kind of money, work half the hours, have so much flexibility and absolutely love what I do. I just would love for other doctors to know that, that this is a possibility. It is a reality. It's happening and, and it can be done. It is sad to see some of the plights that other physicians are who stayed in that system, just like you described. I mean, it's so true. And Gosh, you look at some dark numbers, whether it's suicide rates or burnout rates. Um, you know, there's a kind of a darkness over the profession right now with a lot of people who are so unhappy. And yes. you use the word calling. And I love that word when describing working with physicians and why physicians want to dedicate their lives to take care of other people. It is a calling. It's not a career. Um, it's such a investment of their time and their skills to care for the rest of us. That 
you know, from a patient's perspective, you want somebody who's happy. You want somebody with a passion that, you know, is obviously evident in, uh, in your voice and how you describe this. So, I want to I wanna keep pressing on, you know, what does a day in the life look like for you now that you've had all those experiences before? You've been in DPC now for, you know, going on a year and a half. What's a day look like? And, and do you still love it as much as you did right when you started? Oh, I love it more because I make more money each month as I get more patients. So I love <laughs> That's it. a good perk. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love it more and more. And every day I love going to work. I, I am not one of those people where it's Sunday night and I think, oh, I have to get up tomorrow and go to work. I love what I do. I love that my schedule changes. I know that, that I, I work between nine and five, but some days I wake up and I don't have any patients scheduled. But by the end of the day, I would have seen five or six. I like that versatility that that I can that I can have with this job. I can schedule I can schedule my lunch hour if I want to go to a meeting. Or a lot of times, I spend the morning with my daughter, who's a year old, and I'm able to do that if I block some time out and just hang out with her in the morning. And I really think that having that flexibility to be able to go to a doctor's appointment with my mother or something like that is just oh, it's second to none. It seems like that work-life balance is there and then some. Uh, the work-life balance is definitely there and then some. Yeah, it's, it's uh, more of a lifestyle that, you know, it's amazing to hear you uh, speak about going to work and you're excited and and I bet that your patients echo that entire sentiment too when they come in and get to see you and have a, have a nice long visit with you because they probably know you and they probably trust you. Well, a huge part of that is the time that I get to spend with my patients is that we guarantee a one-hour visit on our patient's first visit. And a lot of our follow-ups are 30 minutes to an hour also. And it takes time to discuss nutrition and set goals and I want to lose weight and how can we do that and you're pre-diabetic and we need to lower your cholesterol. That is not a 15-minute job. And then based off that, oh, I'm overweight and I'm anxious and I don't like myself because of that. We have to address that too. And being able to really feel like I can impact my patients' lives because I can spend 30 minutes to an hour. And also, if they need me, then they can send me a text. I'm just a phone call or a text away. And they really value that service. That accessibility is absolutely huge. Well, we're going to pause right there and take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, the Free Market Medical Association. Dr. Leinbarger, we'll be back. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Healthcare Americana. We're joined today by Dr. Carol Ann Leinbarger, a physician at DirectMD Austin. I wanted to dig into something that you mentioned, that now you're making more money. So I know that speaking to you before, you have been doing some moonlighting options to help a supplemental income out. But one of the cool things, too, about your practice is that you're completely opted out of Medicare. So how do you make that work? How do you find opportunities 
opting out of Medicare that can help supplement your income as you're generating growth and, uh, and generating progress um, for your DPC practice? So that is a very great question. And to be a successful DPC doctor quickly, anyone can be a successful DPC doc because you build a website, people are going to come to you. But if you want to do it as quick as possible, you have to hustle and you have to always hustle. So I carry my business cards everywhere I go and I tell everyone about what I do. And and I get so many patients from convenience store owners to, to restaurant waiters, bartenders, to people canvassing on the street for, um, for ecological programs. I, I am always selling myself. And through that, I have found some great opportunities because, as you might know, if you opt out of Medicare, which I did immediately, it can be hard to pick up traditional moonlighting opportunities like in an urgent care or in an ER or a nursing home. And so I had to find ways to, to make money um, with being able to opt out of Medicare. And so I did that just through networking. And I guess you might want to know what kind of options I, I have done. Yeah, we'd love to hear them. So I work part-time as a sub-investigator for a company that does clinical research trials. They're called Tekton. They're T-E-K-T-O-N. They're a wonderful company. And I do, I, I do as a sub-investigator, I do physical exams when, when their principal investigator is out. And because I have the flexibility of my DBC practice, I am able to go there whenever they need me for a half day or a full day. I also do physicals for a bone marrow donor program called Be The Match. And that has been a great opportunity because these are regular people who are volunteering themselves to be a bone marrow donor. And Mm -hmm. so I feel very lucky that I get to do the physical exam for them and I also get paid for it. Also, I am the medical director for the SAFE Alliance, which the SAFE, the Safe Alliance is a stop abuse for everyone. It is a domestic abuse shelter, and they're huge all over the state of Texas. And they recently started their own in-house clinic. It's run by mid-level providers, and so I'm, I'm their medical director, and that has been a wonderful opportunity to work for that nonprofit group. So really what I'm doing is just, um, and I found that opportunity through just an old friend that I ran into at the gym. I'm just always telling people about what I do in my practice. And because of that always hustle motto, I pick up jobs here and there to help pay the bills. It's a, it's a great story to hear because, again, I keep going back to this and again, that the passion is obviously evident in what you do. And you know, you're not, not only just talking about it, but you're living it. You're living your practice to scale it, to grow it, and to really shout it from the mountaintops for anybody to hear it. And it's really refreshing to hear as opposed to talking to physicians who dread going to the office every single day. So, you know, kudos to you for, for bringing that passion to your job and to your practice every day for your patients. Oh, yes. And I'm sure I can thank my parents for, think, for teaching me to to, to think outside the box. <laughs> we should always thank our parents. You know what? We should probably thank yes. our parents more often every single day, right? <laughs> There's a lot of good things that they gave us out there. Last question for you. What's your advice for physicians uh, who are going through residency, who 
just found out about DPC, but don't think it'll work for them financially. What do you say to those people? I say it will work. And your first year, you're not going to make $200,000, but you can make your residency salary. So if you can make your residency salary for a year, and then after that, you can, you can make more money. And within a couple years, if you're hustling, I say, I expect to, to be making the salary that I would like to make forever in another year. And I have to cut costs in some places. When I finished residency, we had to move in with my parents. And I had to take a lot of odd jobs, but I'm the sole provider for my family, my husband and my daughter. So it can be done. You just need to have a little patience and and know that that it will give you the lifestyle that you want. And and there's a lot of resources out there. DPC doctors are so friendly and we pride ourselves on transparency. So if you get connected with other DPC docs that are doing this, then they will help you because they helped me and I would be happy to help others who are starting. That's so great to hear. It's this pay it forward type of mentality that exists throughout DPC. So it sounds like, you know, make the sacrifices in the short term, get out there, practice the way you want to build your practice. And then I'm sure that in the next coming uh, months or years, you're probably going to be earning a living that is far and above what you would be signing a long-term contract with a, a traditional system and hating every single day that you go to work. Well, yes, not only that, and I know we're finishing up, but the DPC lifestyle gives you time to, to go into other ventures. You were, you were too exhausted after working 50 hours or more a week in a traditional practice that you would not have any time or energy to pursue other business opportunities. But in the DPC world, we are able to. And I'm so grateful to be able to do that. So not only can you make the same living, you could probably, I imagine, and I hope that you can make a lot more and help others and have more time. I mean, it's a win-win situation. Exactly. And that impact on others' lives, I mean, that to me is be so rewarding for somebody in medicine who you know, went this route because it is a calling. You get to impact people's lives for, in a positive way on a scale that is unapproachable any other type of practice. And I, th- I think that that is the best thing to finish on because that is why we went into medicine. We went into medicine to help people. And if you lose the joy in medicine, then, then why even continue to practice? And doing DPC, you don't get burnt out. And, it, and that quality of life is priceless. Very nicely said. Well, Dr. Leinbarger, thanks so much for joining us here and telling your story. Obviously, the more stories like this we can get out there, then the more that we get other interested people who say that this is a viable way to do care and do business and that this can become a reality for patients, for doctors, and any other stakeholder out there in our system. So thanks again for joining it us, really Dr. Leinbarger. Can. It was a real pleasure to chat with Thank you. you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Healthcare Americana. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podchaser, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends and colleagues to download and listen to all Healthcare Americana shows at healthcareamericana.com. 
This episode was produced by iPodcast Pro. Capture your story. iPodcastPro.com.